Welcome to The Divorce Podcast, a podcast that aims to address divorce, separation and co-parenting here in the UK, countering the often sensationalist way it's portrayed in the media, challenging the status quo and driving for reform. On each episode, I'm joined by experts to discuss divorce, separation and co-parenting from different angles and to give their opinions and to debate them. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor and divorce coach, co-founder of Amicable and host of the Divorce Podcast. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Lucy Fry. Lucy is a writer, speaker and artist. Her memoir, Easier Ways to Say I Love You, explores love, lust and lost in all its rawest forms. Lucy's worked as a weekly columnist at the Sunday Telegraph newspaper, a monthly columnist at EasyJet magazine and travel editor for Diva magazine. She's written articles for publications like The Guardian, The Times, Telegraph, Mail on Sunday, Stylist, Psychologies and Women's Health. Lucy's particular area of expertise includes physical, mental and emotional health and addiction. She's also the author of Run, Ride, Sink or Swim, A Rookie's Year in Women's Triathlon. Lucy is featured as a guest speaker at literary festivals, sports festivals and media events. She lives in South London with her son and continues to work on articles, fiction and creative non-fiction. So Lucy, maybe we can start by talking about your co-parenting relationship and how it came to be. What's the background to how you are and where you've got to today? Well, the background, of course, to any co-parenting relationship is that two people I suppose, well, the one in the co-parenting relationship I had, two people decide to have a baby, have baby, try and do it together and then separate and need to figure out how on earth are we going to bring up our child as as, um, no longer a romantic unit and make it work for all of us as a unit, as a new unit. So, yeah, I was with my wife, still my wife, actually. We're not yet divorced, although that, that will be happening, but we're not in a huge rush. I was with her for 12 years in total. And we separated when Rufus, my son, was so it was 18 months ago, and he was two and a half. We officially separated, although I think we'd sort of been living as friends for quite a while, really. And, yeah, we decided to do it our way, and it's been really quite difficult to go against the grain, even though our way has been a lot more amicable, to use the title of your podcast. <laughs> people don't always understand it. What is it that they don't understand, do you think? Well, I think, you know, and when I say people, I mean some people. I mean the kind of what I would call the the blueprint for the way that we view separation is that if you want to separate, you must be really separate as humans. And people tended to be more familiar, or at least close family members anyway, tended to be more familiar with the idea that we would not want to be in the same room, prefer to really split our, our family unit up especially if we were going to go on and have other partners in our lives, then the idea that we might merely be kind of, and it sounds a bit hokey, but it's true, reconfiguring our partnership into something else that maybe took out the romantic sexual element, but was still a family. So you mean you see this as a transition rather than a splitting or an ending? I mean, can I say yes to both? I see it as an ending and a transition to be deeply annoying and paradoxical. It is an ending of one thing and a starting of another. That you know, We can't really get away from the ending aspect. That's a reality. It was the ending of marriage. Of course, nobody knows whether people in 10 years' time get back together. I, I doubt that, but you never know what's going to happen in life. I've learned that very fast. But yeah, it was an ending of our 
of our marriage uh, and a beginning of what we then had to create. And there really isn't an instruction manual or any kind of advice that I could find out there for doing it your way. You don't hate your partner when you are hurt and you do have resentments to work through, but fundamentally, you both love this child. And, and in our case, you know, we went to a lot of effort to have this child as two women. So we then had to put the same kind of conscious thought and effort into how we, how we were going to parent him as no longer a romantic unit. So you're not saying that there wasn't the, the typical feelings of hurt and anger and upset as the breakup unfolded. Those feelings were still there, but you had a different vision of what life would be like and a different idea of how much contact you'd have with each other in order to co-parent Rufus. Is that is that the kind of premise? Look, if you've met someone who decides to split up with their partner and has no hurt or resentment, I'd like to meet them. I mean, <laughs> I don't know whether we ever get to that stage. It's a beautiful idea to get to the stage where you just sit down with someone and say, honey, it's not working, and they go, okay, I love you and I'll let you know. But, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that would defy the passion that that had been in the relationship and the love. So, yeah, of course, of course, we had all that, and we'd made loads of mistakes that had led us to every point that we went through. That was the first bit of your question. What was the second bit? Because I did have an answer. Well, I think it's interesting because I think sometimes people think that when we talk about being amicable, it means there's an absence of any conflict, and that's just not the case, is it? Amicable is about working through the conflict in a constructive way, coming out the other side, and then redefining that transition from parent to co-parent and making that a new path and a new vision for a new way forward without it feeling like it has to be, as you said, you know, you have got to be pitted against each other or you've got to take sides or your family's got to rally around you to the exclusion of the other person. So I'm just interested in in drawing that point out that it amicable doesn't mean an absence of conflict. It means a more constructive way of working through, as you said, the inevitable conflict that's there. I couldn't agree more. And actually, at the moment, I'm writing a book about relationships and I'm looking a lot into this idea of healthy conflict. And it's new for me as well. You know, I haven't been very good at arguing or having conflict or working through it all through my life, but I'm getting a lot better. And I'm realizing that there is huge value in knowing how to have conflict with someone. And we weren't always great at that in our relationship, but we also weren't awful. And we did talk through a lot and we did communicate as best we could. And then when we had conflict as we were separating, I have to say one of the things that was really helpful was that we had some very intense short-term couples psychotherapy with a brilliant psychotherapist in Harley Street called Claire Faulkner. I hope she won't mind me mentioning her, but she was really, really helpful to us. And we went in trying to fix things, really, trying to stay together and communicate better. And about halfway through, it was me who said, I think we're trying to deconstruct something here, actually. And the couples therapy that we then had and having the safe space to say that in that space, I believe it enabled us to not tear each other apart on the way out. So that's interesting. So the, the, the idea of having some help to either repair, as which was where you started from, or ultimately to help you separate in a more positive and constructive way, that's sown the seeds for this co-parenting relationship that you now have. I think so. And it wasn't cheap, so I'm quite glad that it worked. <laughs> but, you know, we don't talk enough about how to deconstruct things and rebuild them. Everybody's so obsessed in our culture and, and you know, and art and songs and media, you know, about falling in love. And there's not enough around sustaining 
love. And, and I absolutely fell into that category of like, you know, not knowing how to sustain something. But the one thing we did get right, and I say right, as in it was good enough, was that when we separated. But don't get me wrong, like we, we spent about six months just grating on each other a huge amount and living so close to one another, two roads away, so that we could co-parent the way we wanted, made things much harder for us as individuals. Easier as parents, harder as ex-lovers, you know? Yeah. So there's some element of sacrifice in it then. Personal sacrifice, maybe. Sacrifice. It was just a choice. Just a choice. I, I, you know, I know what it's like to grow up with parents who can't say a nice thing about each other. And I know how it leaves one feeling uh, stuck in the middle. And in my case, I, I took a side and I picked it and I, I stayed on one side. And it, and, it, and it was very painful for everyone, I think. But... I didn't want my son to ever have to do that. But he has seen us arguing and he has seen us snapping and he does watch us hug and laugh. And, you know, we are we are perfect in our imperfection, put it that way. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the interesting things is your point you made about the focus culturally, the focus is always about falling in love, all the big romantic gestures, that element of it. And it strikes me that as we mature as a society and as people live longer, you know, it's something that you know we talk about a lot on this podcast is that we're going to have many more relationships. The idea of having one relationship that lasts for all of our adult life seems less and less likely. Whether it's desirable or not, that's up for debate. But it, the, the, the sort of cold, hard facts about it, it seems inevitable that more of us will have multiple relationships and children will be a part of some of those relationships, potentially all of them, if you have your children from the first main relationship. So I think we do have to get better at this. And I wonder what you think, you said earlier, you know, you did this well. What were the key things you did well? So I think asking for help was crucial because despite my long history of individual psychotherapy and having trained or nearly nearly having completed my training as a therapist now, I had never really wanted to go to couples therapy because in my head I still had that stigma of like, that was the couple that was really struggling, you know? And it's interesting as someone who encourages everyone to go to therapy that I still had that. So we asked for help. What else did we do right? I mean, we, I'll tell you what I did. I can't really speak for my um, ex-wife, uh, my wife, Bella. I kept in mind one thing that would always bring me back from the brink of hating her when we were really, because I mean, what happens, let me just digress a tiny bit. What happens when you separate from someone in my case, is that all the things that you've just brushed under the carpet because you're a couple, because you love them, because you've got someone coming around for dinner and you can't face bringing it up again, all of those things, they suddenly stop being brushed under the carpet. And it's like, really, they're just infuriating. And I know she felt the same about me. So when those moments came where we just were full of rage because the things that we pushed down were now surfacing... I just called to mind every time, and this sometimes didn't happen until after the argument, the moment when she gave birth to our son. And I was standing next to her. I know it sounds corny, but it's so true, and I feel really emotional. And just the, the extraordinary display of motherhood that she showed and the strength as she pushed him out, and I watched that. And, the, and I just kept thinking, and, you know, my, my journey with my, my son as a parent has been a complex one too, and I just kept thinking... You did that. You know, effectively, it was her who wanted a baby, found the donor, pushed the whole thing forward and, and sort of slightly pushed me into it. And I was obviously a willing participant. 
And when he came along, I couldn't believe how much um, depth it added to my life. And so I had to keep reminding myself, you know, find something extreme, I guess, is the advice I'm, I'm thinking, whether it's that moment when your partner stood and stood up for you in front of an abusive parent or that moment when they just asked you to marry them or anything beautiful that they have done in service of you and your family and just keep coming back to that because that stopped me wanting to destroy us. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, so so it's just hanging on to the person they've been during the relationship rather than having that focus on, like you say, all of the angry feelings that you've got with them in the moment. So trying to recall a better time. Yeah, I think so. Because remembering the better time allows you to focus on the good qualities they've got because you've now got to see them as a co-parent rather than as a lover or as a partner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or just find one thing they did that was extraordinary and changed your life. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about, haven't you, you've talked before about when you were actually choosing your partner to thinking about the commitment you were going to make, thinking about, is this somebody that I could break up with? I thought that was quite interesting. I heard you speak about that on another podcast. and I, I quite like that. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, I'm not sure I, I, I said that. And if I did, it was probably a little bit wrong. I don't think age 26, when I met Arabella, that I thought, how are you going to be in a breakup? I didn't think like that back then. I do think a bit more like that now. What I did think when we were having a kid was, are you somebody I could cope with for the rest of my life, being in my life, that I cannot run away from? Because you see this, I've seen this in so many friends who've split up with partners. They suddenly realise when they have children, they cannot get this person out of their life. And it's funny because I don't think you think so much like that when you just marry somebody. It's, it's, the, it's the children bit that, yeah, that you are then inextricably linked to them for the rest of your life. Only death separates you. <laughs> yeah, you can sell a house, you can you can get a divorce, and ultimately a couple of years down the line you can be out of touch and if you wish. I mean, to me that's a bit of a tragedy, but, you know, I, and I remember looking at her and thinking, yes, after 12 years, you know, you're the person that I actually know I can have around for the rest of my life. And, and it sounds like a real backhanded compliment, but I, and it is, but actually it's true. Everything we've been through, She's the person who I can cope with having to communicate with and if I live till 80, you know. It's a weird thing to say, but, but it is important. I think if you're going to have a child with someone, that you think, remember, we never know what's going to happen in life, but this person ain't going anywhere. Yeah. I don't think it's backhanded. I'd take that. <laughs> the idea that I could, someone could tolerate me for the rest of mine yeah, and well, their that's lives. I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... I gave for toleration. And therefore, if that's not working, um, if you get to a stage, you know, and we all do, I mean, it's completely normal to get to a stage in a breakup where you think, I don't want you around, I can't cope with this. If you have a child, I believe it's the, the greatest piece of parenting that you can do to create an amicable relationship with the other parent. You know, that and helping your child to emotionally regulate. My kid eats rubbish sometimes. He watches too much television. He doesn't go to sleep till nine most nights. I am failing on loads of levels, but I had to choose where to put my attention and energy and my love and my heart, my heart energy, because I can't do it all. So those are the places that I've chosen and we'll deal with them. We'll deal with the teeth falling out later. Yeah, yeah. So how does your how does it work between the two of you at the moment? What have you got set up in terms of how you co-parent? Because I think lots of people are quite interested when you're standing on the edge of this to know like the nitty gritty of how it works and what other people do. So 
you know, without, you know, transgressing any boundaries. Tell me a little bit about your arrangements. You know, part of our arrangement is that I contacted um, Arabella before this podcast and asked her if she was okay with me talking about everything really freely. Okay. She said yes, because that's a consent thing, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't ask Ruth. Well, that's, it's a res- it's a respect thing as well, isn't it? It's respect for the other parent, as, and that's kind of key. Yeah, and I think we both feel quite passionately that we want to tell people that there are different ways of doing things, and that it will be a struggle, but there are different ways. So she moved out of the house that we were living in for various reasons, financial reasons, and rented and still rents somewhere two roads away, literally about ninety seconds walk away which is a nice little place, and Rufus goes between our two houses. Now, our schedule has changed, and it will change again when he goes to school in September. But on the whole, I have him three nights a week. She has him four nights a week, and occasionally I'll have an extra night just because of the way that our lives are set up, and we split the weekends. During lockdown, we changed the schedule because trying to have a three-year-old, as he was then, with nowhere to go, no one who will have a play date, most of the playground's shut, for an entire weekend was just breaking us. So we, we split the weekend. And that was good for us. I'm not sure how good it was for him, actually, looking back. I think he struggles with being sort of pushed from pillar to post. So we then reassessed that. We had a chat and we decided that we're going to do one weekend off. One weekend off. And, and, and it's that, you know, my ex is, is obsessed with Google Documents and Doodle and all these things. And I am a classic, like, just put it in a Microsoft Word document and I may look at it in a week. So... We always fight about that, but we're doing okay. And that's how we do it on the whole. Everything financially is split straight down the line. You know, we just naturally fall into a rhythm with she always took care of kind of immunizations and health stuff. And I've taken care of cutting his toenails for some reason. I don't know why. It's just the way it is. You know, we split swimming lessons, but I'm going to teach him how to ride a bike because she's never been very good at that. But I haven't got around to it yet. You know, so some of it's just kind of, hey, do you want to do this? I'm really good at this. You're no good at that. Like, shall we do it that way? Arabella's amazing. But it sounds like you can have those conversations because you've dealt with the anxieties between the two of you. So you're actually co-parenting on a level where you're not having to battle the death throes of the relationship. Is that right? Or am I, or is there something still going on? I think that is right. And I think as I talk, I make it sound really easy and obvious that you would just have a discussion about that. But I do know from a little bit from myself, but also from other couples who've separated, just that one thing, you know, oh, can you take X swimming this afternoon? Can, when the relationship has been very painful at its end, make someone go, what? I'm not taking them swimming, da da da, or, you know, really cause a lot of, of rupture. So I do understand that. And sometimes things are like mines. Yes, we perhaps got it a bit more right at the end. And so we got to that space. Okay. And what about new partners? So do either of you have a new relationship? Have you introduced new partners into the co-parenting sphere for Rufus? You know what? I'm not going to talk about Arabella's relationship, whatever's going on no, with her. Of Although that, you know, she, I'm sure she has a healthy, a healthy life in that regard. But I'll just leave it to me and speak about what it is to introduce new partners. I think... I mean, I do have a partner now and the introduction has been slow and gentle and I'm constantly aware that, you know, this is this is quite a fragile thing. But at the same time, I think we can overly worry and that as long as children have their one or two or three or uh, main attachment figures, and in my case, it's me and Arabella, then actually they'll survive a loss 
um, if there is one down the line. And I think it's about how we introduce them and answering questions as they arise. So, yeah, I think I've just been cautious, but not overthinking it too much. I don't feel that, you know, my uh, current partner would be in any way uh, have to take on a parental role. I mean, Rue has two parents. It can be in his life and they can develop a bond and that's wonderful. But um, we'll just we'll just see, you know, no pressure because he has two parents. And is there a conversation that you have before introducing? So do you speak to Arabella or would she speak to you about introducing a new partner? Is it that kind of thing or are you totally separate now in, in that regard? Well, funnily enough, that's one area where we made mistakes in order to get it right. So she introduced a partner to Rue without me knowing. And she didn't introduce, because he was only three then, she didn't introduce this person in a kind of, this is the great reveal, this person. She just went, happened to be with Rue and meet up with this person. But I wanted to know that that was happening before. So, you know, I can't remember if I got annoyed or not. I don't think I actually did in this instance, although I'm capable of it. And I just said, listen, this upset me. Can we do it differently? And then I told her when I was introducing my current partner to Ruth. So I think it didn't really matter to her, but it matters to me. So we had to figure that out. And the other thing to say in all this is that we have been through a big co-parenting document that is available free, and I've completely forgotten where from, uh, where you can address a lot of questions and sit down together. And we both did the document each and then went and met. So I think you're describing a parenting plan, yes. are you then? Yeah. So you've you've gone through a parenting plan and you've sat down and you've worked out what the schedule's going to be, how you're going to pay for things, what the deal is when you introduce new partners, how you're going to deal with Mother's Day, Father's Day, all of those sorts of things. So you've, you'd say having a parenting plan has helped. Yeah, the act of sitting down and having to confront those questions was massive for me. I put it off for weeks. I remember it was last year. And yeah, the act of doing that was really important. As to whether we've stuck to it all, I don't even know. I think the parenting plan is somewhere in a file, um, but it shows intent on both sides. And we sat and we did it in the same way that with our donor, we had a contract drawn up. He drew it up, actually. And we all went through it and we signed it. Hopefully we'll never have to get it out. But we did it. And I think that's really important just to take some time to think about stuff you'd never think about, like how are we going to do pocket money? Or, And a big one for us was... Can someone move away? That is a really big one. Yeah. So what did you decide about that kind of thing? That I can't remember the exact number, but we decided, and this was me, because my ex was very kind of clear that she wasn't planning to move anywhere. And I, I was like, well, I don't, it's not that I didn't trust her. It's just that I know how people change. And I wanted to have in writing that nobody would move more than, I think it was 10 miles away from the other without consent of the whole family. So. That's in place. And I'm stuck a bit. I'm stuck in where I live a little bit as a result. But that's okay. That's a choice I made when I became a parent. Mm. But it sounds like the bedrock of all of this. I, I love what you say about the parenting plan, because I think it's really important. And even if it does change next term or next week or whatever, the fact that you've spent the time going through it, it it's taken your brain to that place. You've considered some of these things. I think that's all really helpful. Because just to have thought things through, even if an issue that's not on the parent plan comes up, you've learned something by having that open dialogue and that open discussion, even if it's you've learned the give and take of negotiating when you've got a child and you've got your own personal things pressing on you as well. So I, I think the process of creating a parenting plan, even if you say you never get it out again or it sits in the drawer, 
is vitally, vitally important. And I, I kind of, I think what underlies that and what I hear from you with all of this is you're just a good communicator. I mean, you better hope so given your job, but you are just a good communicator. And that feels like those skills are super important in the co-parenting relationship. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a good enough communicator. And what I mean by that is that I'll come and say sorry very quickly. I mean, I still snap, I still get annoyed. And it's usually to do with stuff that's going on for me, you know, separately. And then I get an email from Arabella saying, oh, can we swap this date? And I'm like, no. But very quickly, I'll take a breath, I'll speak to a friend and I'll go, I'm really sorry. Here are the reasons why I said no, or I was a bit rash. Of course we can. But when I struggle with all of that, and I do, I just keep thinking about my boy. You know, what do I want him to grow up around? He's already got separated parents. That comes with its own challenges. What do I want him to know? That we love each other because otherwise he has to pick a side. And I don't think he'd pick mine either because I'm not his bio mom. And there is definitely a little extra bond at the moment between him and Arabella. I know that he would choose her if he had to. And that's cool. And that's part of my journey. And that's part of him, her having birthed him in that extraordinary way. But there is a little bit of me being very intelligent about this and thinking, this kid wouldn't pick me. So let's all just stay really close because, you know, this is realistic stuff. Yeah. But also, I think, you know, you're at the beginning of the journey with with the age of your child. As they grow older, their bonds definitely change. Uh, And certainly when they hit teenage years, birthing becomes a completely insignificant element of their relationship with you. It just doesn't care what you've done for them. They just hate you. Yeah, so. hate all of it. I'm really hoping that, that everybody who's told me, and it is everyone, that your children hate you when they're teenagers, that my son will be the only one to defy all of that. <laughs> but you'll be you'll bring something different and there'll be the ability for your child to move between the two homes at pressure points. And then I think that actually becomes it's not that it's an advantage, but I think it becomes something that's really important for teenage children to be able to go between the two spaces as pressure builds in one area and the relationship shifts and changes so yeah and on that note I'd just love to say that one thing I've noticed is well thinking about what it would have been like if we'd stayed together as a happy couple I don't think I'd have the bond with Rufus that I have now because we've spent so much time alone just the two of us I do bedtime differently I do things differently. We have our relationship is based on play fighting, humor, you know, do little in jokes and eating ice creams together. In it, it's a different relationship. And I just think that we've had a chance to cultivate that where if there were both parents at home, you might not have wanted to spend so much time with me. I don't know. Or, or the other, and perhaps the other way around for Arabella as well. She's had a, a stronger bond with him. There's so many benefits to co parenting. I have to say, I get time to myself. I can wake up alone in a bed and have a coffee. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. And, you know, it takes community to raise a child, doesn't it? And the different styles of parenting, you know, there's a lot said about co-parenting and having to do everything the same and, you know, all all being on the same page. But I, I think kids can tolerate a whole range of different approaches and I think they're better for it. So I, I agree. I think there are some, I think, you know, you dealt a hand, you make the best of it. And in making the best of it, I think you can see some real positives and and advantages in what you're doing and the co-parenting relationship that you have. I think it's really inspiring, actually. I really do. Yeah, thank you. I think what children can't tolerate is having to choose between parents, watching parents 
hair strips of each other on a regular basis. Um, and any kind of sense, because children have a bat sense, like adults lose it, lose contact with that self. But that sense when they think, you know, mummy and mummy are being, or daddy and daddy or mummy and daddy are being a bit snappy with each other and then they pretend everything's fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would always say to Rue, oh, mummy B's annoying me right now, but I love her, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I do the same with him now. I say, I'm upset with you. I still love you. We're upset with each other. How are we going to figure this out? Mm-hmm. So he knows. He's not imagining it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're helping him fill in the emotional gaps, aren't you? And, and not leaving it to him just to navigate on his own. No, it's, it's, it's really positive And it's been really fascinating talking to you. We're coming up to the end of time. I'm sorry. Where can people find out more about you, Lucy? Well, my incredibly outdated website is lucyfry.co.uk. I will be updating it in time for the publication of my next book in February. But yeah, at the moment, it's pretty outdated. And there's at Lucy underscore Fry underscore writer at Instagram as well. Brilliant. Well, listen, it's been fascinating to hear the nitty gritty of how certain people do their co-parenting. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, Of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kate underscore daily. And you can subscribe to the podcast at thedivorcepodcast.com. Thanks very much for listening.